You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and got a good, good show planned for you today. Maybe even a great show. Uh, part of what's going to make it great is we are going to have Fantasy Sports Network's own Gary and Thorne on a little bit later on in the show. Uh, there has been a heating up of the trade market, a couple of trades in the last 24 hours or so. Going to break those down with Gary and, and of course, uh, get to those in a little bit less detail uh, in just a moment here. Uh, but uh, we've also got a segment today, Favorable Matchup Monday. I uh, wish I had kind of picked up on this uh, before yesterday's show, but there were a lot of pitchers that had some really uh, pretty sweet matchups. And they uh, those matchups were taken advantage of. So I will review those uh, in some detail also a little bit later on. But right uh, to the news, the big trade uh, in the past day or so, Trevor Cahill, uh, the, the big ticket uh, name in the deal between the Royals and the Padres, going from the Padres to the Royals, along with their closer, Brandon Maurer, and setup man, Ryan Buchter. So uh, Cahill, Maurer, and Buchter going to the Royals in exchange for Travis Wood, who recently joined the Royals rotation. I would assume he's probably going to now join the Padres rotation. Matt Strom, who is out for the rest of the year, but uh, his uh, appearance in the Royals rotation or bullpen, probably more the rotation, was really eagerly anticipated by many, uh, including myself this year. And also an 18-year-old second baseman in rookie league named Asturi Ruiz. Uh, So Wood... Strom and Ruiz going the other way uh, to San Diego. So uh, a lot to break down there. Uh, I will certainly get to that in this program when uh, we get Gary and Thorne on the show. Also, Jaime Garcia going uh, finally, after a few days of of a hang-up, finally going from the Braves to the Twins, along with uh, catcher Anthony Recker and cash considerations uh, for Huascar Inoa. I hope I got the first name right there. Uh, he is a 19-year-old right-handed pitcher. He has been ranked as the number two prospect in the Twins system by uh, by Fangraphs and a number 14 by Minor League Ball, and that's John Sickles' uh, site, part of the uh, SB Nation uh, sites. So uh, 14 by Sickles, number 22 in the twin system by Fangraphs. Uh, Huascar Inoa. I have a feeling that H is probably not supposed to be pronounced. Anyhow, um, that's the deal there uh, going back from the Twins to the Braves for Garcia, Wrecker, and some cash. So uh, those are the big uh, items on the news, but a lot more to come. George Springer update, uh, a Dallas Keuchel update, a Derek Fisher update, and also some news about some players that don't play for the Astros. So all that coming up. And also, favorable matchup Monday, a review of yesterday's action. So stick around. I will be right back after these messages. In 20- 
2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turn fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Welcome back. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for this show. And let's uh, get right into the game in progress. White Sox and Cubs, just the same as yesterday, but today we got Carlos Rodon and John Lackey toeing the slab. And a lot of scoring already in this one. Bottom of the second inning, Cubs up 4-2 to two and threatening again. But they got on the board, uh, the Cubs did in the first inning, with a three-run Wilson Contreras homer. And the White Sox two runs, naturally, by way of a Carlos Rodon double. Uh, and I saw Christopher Kopka post something really pretty interesting on Twitter a few moments ago. That's the first RBI double uh, hit by a White Sox pitcher since Dwayne Wise. That's right, the outfielder, Dwayne Wise, in a game where he appeared as a pitcher and hit an RBI double, apparently. So, uh Fun little trivia there. Uh, but let's uh, get back to some of the news. I promised you a whole bunch of Astros news, and I will deliver. Uh, George Springer is expected to avoid the disabled list, according to A.J. Hinch. He is just day-to-day, uh, left yesterday's game early, and um, just a, you know, it was a, certainly scary for uh, fantasy owners to see that, but uh, apparently not too serious for uh, George Springer, but uh, you know, I'll uh, obviously keep you updated on that. Uh, it is a quad injury for uh, for Springer, and I know he's had that issue before, but at least for now, day to day, some even better news perhaps for fantasy owners and Astros fans. Dallas Keuchel is expected to make a start this weekend, either Friday or Saturday. Uh, the uh, rotation is going to be in some order. Dallas Keuchel, Colin McHugh, and also I think this is noteworthy, Lance McCullers, who I talked about in great length on yesterday's show. Uh, so McCullers it will not be the odd man out, at least uh, right now, in the Astros rotation, even though he has really struggled lately. So McCullers is definitely going on Sunday, and then it's going to be some combination of Keuchel and McHugh on Friday and Saturday. Uh, also, the Astros have recalled Derek Fisher, from AAA, and he is going to start tonight at Philadelphia. There is no Astros lineup yet. There is a Phillies lineup. Uh, nothing particularly noteworthy there. You got uh, Howie Kendrick back in there uh, after not starting on Monday. We've also got the Rays lineup out. It's got uh, Jacob Faria on the mound, Wade Miley, the lefty, and with the lefty going for the Orioles, no Corey Dickerson in the Rays lineup tonight. So um, there you go. And uh, that's about it uh, as far as lineups go for right now, but certainly check back in if we can later on. A uh, couple of pitchers going on the DL, or maybe already on the DL. The Angels already having placed Alex Meyer on the 10-day DL with right shoulder inflammation, and that stint is pushed back retroactively to July 21st. So that would make him eligible uh, at the end of the month, July 31st. Uh, so... No 
word as to whether or not that's expected to be uh, a minimum stay for Alex Meyer. And the Mets have placed Zach Wheeler on the 10-day DL. His uh, stint traced back retroactively to July 23rd. He's got a stress reaction in his right arm, and he had complained about some R soreness, so there's, there's the reason why. Mets have recalled Tyler Pill to take Wheeler's place on the roster and on the pitching staff, but uh, it's going to be Chris Flexen getting the call from A Binghamton to start Wheeler's place this Thursday at the Padres. So Flexen really having a pretty nice breakout season, very much off the radar or under the radar in terms of prospect lists and, and rankings. But um, but uh, as far as that goes, uh, we will see him make his Major League debut on uh, on this Thursday. Justin Bohr has been placed on the disabled list. Uh, he has a right oblique strain. And Wilson Ramos will not start today. Uh, that is at Baltimore, but he could return on Wednesday. Uh, the Red Sox are still uh, looking at their third base options. They are scout- scouting Eduardo Nunez. Uh, and I wrote a piece for FanRag Sports about Rafael Devers, who has, uh, of course, been called up to take over at third base. But... Um, they're still looking at other options, the Red Sox. So as I wrote in the piece for FanRag, you can't necessarily expect that uh, Devers is going to be the longtime solution there for the Red Sox at third base. Um, Brandon Woodruff was activated by the Brewers, but optioned to Triple A uh, Colorado Springs. He was on the DL with a hamstring injury, but um, he could be back up. According to Tom Hodricourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, he says this is more of a paperwork move, sending Woodruff down to AAA. So he's somebody to look for in uh, in some uh, deeper leagues. So something to uh, keep an eye on there. I like Woodruff a lot. He actually has put up some pretty nice stats uh, in terms of uh, what he did away from Colorado Springs, which is a really, really tough park for uh you know, for any pitcher, really. <laughs> it's also really done a nice job of inflating some of the Brewers' prospects' uh, hitting stats there in AAA. But uh, Brandon Woodruff, there's a name to kind of tuck away for your uh, your deeper leagues. Uh, nice prospect there. Should, or at least could be potentially, in the Brewers' rotation uh, in, in, in short time. Uh, maybe uh, in place of Junior Guerra, perhaps. But... Uh, We'll have to uh, wait and see on that one. So Woodruff and Chris Flexen, really two names, probably, I mean, Woodruff more than Flexen, but a couple of names that haven't really gotten a whole lot of attention in fantasy circles. Uh, both, well, Flexen will definitely start later this week. Both could be uh, making some starts uh, for a while, for some time to come. So a uh, couple of names to look at. So as I mentioned in the last segment, yesterday featured a lot of starting pitcher matchups that really favored those pitchers. And uh, so retroactively, I'm going to look at this as favorable matchup Monday. <laughs> Christen it, uh, it with 2020 hindsight. And uh, before I do get to some of those pitchers, I just want to make note of Kyle Hendricks. Uh, and I guess you could say that he was a part of favorable matchup Monday because he faced the White Sox, who have not generally fared very well offensively. 
against right uh, right handed pitchers, and it was not the best to start for Hendricks, and not in the way that you might have thought, because he only lasted four and a third innings, and going into that start. That might not have been a surprise at all because Hendricks coming off of the DL with the hand tendonitis, you would have expected that he would be on a pretty restrictive pitch count. And um, that really wasn't wound up not being the deal at all. He made 92 pitches in that start. So really what it speaks to is a not a very efficient performance for Hendricks, even though he didn't walk a single batter. He did give up eight hits. So that certainly added to the inefficiency. And uh, in the four and third innings, despite the eight hits, only allowed one run, uh, did get five strikeouts. So the line itself, other than the eight hits, doesn't look terrible, but um, not an especially encouraging first start off the DL for Hendricks. But as we typically do with pitchers uh, just coming off the DL, uh, I think it is fair to um, you know give, give them a free pass on that first start. And it wasn't horrific, just not... Uh, not up to the level that we had hoped for Kyle Hendricks. The opposite uh, number in that game, Miguel Gonzalez, very nice start. He went seven and a third against the Cubs, allowing one run on seven hits and three walks with three strikeouts. But uh, for the, I think uh, really the more notable development for the White Sox in that game was that Anthony Swarzak got the save, and a four-out save, no less. And for all the discussion and anticipation that we've had for Anthony Swarzak, um, maybe at some point getting save opportunities for the White Sox. I was a little bit surprised to find out this was the first career save for Anthony Swarzak. And, I mean, if you really think about it, it's not that surprising because you think about the roles that he's played over his career. He's been a starter. He's been a long reliever. Um, you know, this year he's been more of a, a late-inning setup uh, type. Uh, but it's still, it just, uh, yeah, it was kind of strange to me that Anthony Swarzak had never gotten a save before. So good job with the four-out save there for Swarzak. No word uh, from uh, Rick Renteria in terms of whether or not this signals a real change for uh, the White Sox in terms of their, their reliever usage. He didn't say Swarzak's the closer now. Clippers out. He just said Swarzak's the one who's been pitching well lately. So he got the, got the uh, save opportunity. So read into that what you will. Uh, but certainly makes Swarzak even a little more appealing as a save speculation target than uh, he was before yesterday. So uh, moving on with uh, the extravaganza that I'm calling favorable matchup Monday, Justin Verlander had a really nice start against the Royals. And really now this is back-to-back good starts against the Royals. I put out a Twitter poll asking people if they thought that these good starts were more to Verlander's credit or more to the Royals' credit, basically playing the is it the pitcher or is it the matchup game. We are going to go to break in just a moment here, and then we're going to have Gary Thorne on with us. I'll throw that question by him, <laughs> and I will break that down a little bit more later on the show. So stick around, though. can have some great discussion with Gary Thorne coming right up. Ezekiel Elliott, Carl Anthony Towns, Corey Seager. Those are the rookies of the year, much like the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
The fastest growing fantasy sports network on radio is completely free 24-7. Listen to us live at FNTSY.com slash radio or download the app right now in the Google Play Store or on iTunes. Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And with me for this segment from Fantasy Sports Network, Gary and Thorne. You know him from the rotation. Gary, welcome uh, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Thanks for having me, Al. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, glad, uh, glad to have you on and uh, I've enjoyed uh, being a guest on your show. So I figured we just we keep, keep the fun going. <laughs> so, uh, and we've, uh, you know, on your show, we've talked a lot about pitchers. So we got a lot of uh, good uh, pitcher uh, developments to talk about here. But um, I know we're going to talk about the Trevor Cahill trade and the Jaime Garcia trade. But I wanted to throw something by you that I uh, just uh, threw out at the end of the previous segment, which is I'm calling yesterday's slate favorable matchup Monday because in, in reviewing it, I realized there were a lot of really good matchups for, for pitchers that generally took advantage of it. And Justin Verlander had a great start against the Royals, and it's back-to-back Good starts for, for Verlander, really much better than he had been doing before. So I put out a Twitter poll. Who deserves the credit for these two good starts from Verlander, the Royals or Verlander himself? Which way would you go on that? I mean, I think I could possibly see myself giving it to Verlander. I mean, uh, we'll get into this a little bit more and why this matters in a second, but the Royals actually, the last 30 days, have the fourth best offense by, you know, the most basic of metrics we're talking about here, but by pure runs scored over the last 30 days. Fourth best team in all of baseball, and really among human teams in the American leagues, if we discount the Astros for a second, the best offense in the American <laughs> league the last 30 days. So I kind of got to give this to Verlander. I know there's been a lot of talk about if you eliminate the three worst starts and really try to find the mean of his season. And it's easy to just say, yeah, throw out the worst starts of any pitcher, and he's a lot better. But, you know, that really has been the case, aside from the occasional blow-up with Verlander. I think my one major concern this year, and if there's anyone out there who would support this claim, it would be Justin Verlander, who has gotten on the soapbox quite a bit this year, talking about the, uh, let's just call them changes in the baseball, or perspective changes in the baseball this season. We've seen it with essentially every extreme fly ball pitcher who is not Max Scherzer. It has not been a good year to be an extreme fly ball pitcher. So maybe that type of archetype that's kind of saved Verlander's career the last couple years, maybe that's trending in the wrong direction with how baseball as a whole is trending right now. But, you know, Verlander, there's so many outliers this season, and I just feel like he is primed to have a pretty good second half. All right. Well, you are in the strong, strong majority. Uh, the poll closed with 64% voting for Verlander. Uh, if I had voted my own poll, I would have voted the Royals because, well, you're right. They're a much improved uh, team offensively, one of the best, off, uh, best teams offensively of late. Uh, they still swing and miss a lot. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Verlander has not had much luck with that up until these last two starts. But I, I, I could break that down a, a little bit more later in the show. I definitely want to, as you said, you, you want to talk about the Royals. Uh, I know you want to talk about this trade, Trevor Cahill, uh, and, of course, the, the two uh, late-end relievers, uh, Buckter and Maurer, going over to KC. Uh, so how do you think that this affects Trevor Cahill's value going from the NL to the AL, from the Padres to the Royals? Uh, much, much change there? I don't think there's much change. I mean, I guess any time sort of a mid-level 
starting pitcher goes from the National League to the American League, he might take a little bit of a hit. Uh, because some of the things you would initially go to in terms of what are obvious factors uh, that would make this situation better are ballpark off the top. And, you know, there's not a ton of discernible difference between Petco and between Kaufman. Both are very friendly pitchers' parks in the most general of senses. And the run support narrative is going to be interesting because while I'm not going to paint this picture that the Padres were really backing up Trevor Cahill out in San Diego, if you look at the four pitchers this season for San Diego who have started at least 10 games, that'd be Cahill, Chassin, Clayton Richard, and Luis Perdomo, he actually was by far getting the most run support. I mean, not to the upper echelon of the league, but of the 146 pitchers with 60 innings thrown this season, Shasin, Richard, and Perdomo all ranked in the bottom 25 in terms of run support, where Cahill was actually in the upper half of the league. So I do think it's a better offensive and run support situation, a better win expectancy situation uh, in Kansas City. But you know, I just think Cahill's pretty good, and, and I don't think that changes too much uh, depending on where he's going. He checks a lot of the boxes that you know, I like to kind of fill out when I'm looking for a starting pitcher, whether it be the extreme ground ball rate, uh, which you know, would, would only help his, his chances at Kauffman Stadium because, you know, home run suppression this season, as we were sort of just talking about with Verlander, is a very important facet in fantasy baseball this year. And that swinging strike rate that he brings to the table as well, only six pitchers with 60 innings thrown have had a 12% or higher swinging strike rate and a 50% or higher ground ball rate. And we're talking like Severino, McCullers, Godley, Wood. So some pretty good company right now for Trevor Cahill. So maybe a minor hit uh, to some of the ratios, but I do think the win expectancy is probably a lot better in Kansas City. Yeah, hard to argue with that, um, even if the Royals you know, hadn't improved, uh, which they have. Uh, and you don't worry about uh, control with Cahill. That's been a little bit worse of late. Uh, so that's Yeah, that's I not... mean, it, it, it's a concern. I mean, it's, it's not something you'd like to see. Um, but, you know, in the same way that there are, is that tier of pitcher, and I was, and I was actually thinking about this uh, yesterday reading um, – uh, Paul Spore's recent piece up on Fangraphs uh, about kind of breaking, re-breaking down his, uh, his bold predictions from early on in the year. And he had kind of gone out in the limb for Francisco Liriano. And that was a case I was heavily making to start the season. And I kind of found myself realizing that more often than not, I'm willing to take the chance on the control. Uh, you know, I'm willing to say, like, oh, maybe Brandon Finnegan. Like, I'm sure in 2018 I'm going to be sitting there saying, oh, this could be the year for Brandon Finnegan. Like, I, I will continue to go to that well because I do feel like, especially, you know, Cahill's not at this value anymore, but, you know, speaking in a more general sense, like when you're taking these back-end shots on upside, I think you can and I think you really have to kind of factor in that generally with the high upside comes the massive downside. There's not a lot of high-ceiling, high-floor guys. They're going in the first round. So I, yeah. I, I'm not too worried about the walk stuff with Cahill. That's a great point, actually. We talk all the time about the lack of reliable pitchers, you know, lack of uh, pitchers with minimal flaws. So that's good, good to have that perspective on it. Um, now, in terms of the relievers involved, uh, it looks like the, the Royals once again have a super pen like they did in those World Series years uh, with the addition of uh, Maurer and Buckter. Do you think that they could actually be a, a potential threat to Herrera, who's not really been on the top of his game this year? I don't know if Buckter and Maurer really are. I mean, Maurer, I, I, I'd like to go to bat for this guy because it really has been such a lie of a season for Maurer. It didn't start off great, but, you know, with all the sort of Brad Hand trade talk and the Brad Hand uh, handcuff talk that we were, 
you know, hearing in March and April and May. Uh, and for a little bit towards the end of late May, it seemed like Hand might actually take over that job. I mean, Maurer's been pretty good the last two months. And, you know, you look at the strand rate he's put up this season, it's just otherworldly in terms of how horrendously unlucky it is. Only, you know, uh, not a name you like to talk about a whole lot, but only Fernando Rodney has a worse strand rate this season, down around 50%. So I think he's pitched well, but I don't think he's a guy who right now, when you look at the raw numbers or when Ned Yost looks at the raw numbers, is going to say, you know, this guy has to be thrust into the closer's job. And Herrera's looked a little bit better since he came down with that illness and gave up the home run to Mikey Matuk a couple games back, uh, three straight scoreless appearances. But I, I really do worry about Joaquin Soria. I think Soria is a guy who is pitching much better than Herrera this season. Uh, and it always comes down to that question, you know, do – do we think that Ned Yost feels more comfortable with Soria in the eighth because maybe there's the freedom to use him in you know, more high-leverage situations than sticking him in that ninth inning slaughter? You know, it's just the familiarity with Herrera enough to keep this job. So I would say I'm leaning to like 75-80% that Herrera keeps his job rest of season, but I think it's Soria who takes the job if anyone does. Uh, and you're saying there's a chance, so that's that's enough. Uh, I think to you know drop a few dollars if you can. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry, Ed. I, I I do agree with that assessment. Uh, now, on the other hand, uh, of course, the uh, Padres lost two thirds of their back end combo, uh, and Brad Hand has been rumored to be traded for months now. So, uh, do you think it's safe to assume that Hand is going to be gone? And then, if that's the case, who closes? Yeah, it's it's a tough one, and I think Brad Hand at this point is probably owned in a majority of leagues, but if you do have a chance to grab him, I think wherever he goes, and especially if he ends up on a good team in a high-leverage situation where he might be used in multiple innings, I think spending a few dollars on him in your upcoming fab period wouldn't be the worst idea. I mean, there's it's it's been it's happened before where a guy who's been rumored to be traded all season long doesn't get traded, and if that's the case, he's a very good closing option out there in San Diego. Uh, and if he is traded, I think he's still a, a relatively viable guy as sort of like a streaming reliever if you don't want to you know, use maybe a lower tier of guy in a 12-man mix or a 14-man mix. But what's left in there in San Diego? I mean, I know Carter Capps is getting a little bit of love right now, uh, who's put up some good numbers in the minors. But, you know, Kirby Yates is having a really good season. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, the old school narrative of the pressure is going to get to him. I don't know if he has a closers mentality. But Kirby Yates, I mean, the only two guys with a higher swinging strike rate among relievers than Kirby Yates this season are Craig Kimbrell and Roberto Osuna. So wow. seems like he's in pretty good company right now. And, I mean, the one knock on Yates... Uh, that I could possibly construe is that he's an extreme, extreme fly ball pitcher, and sometimes you don't like those home run threats being at the back end of your bullpen, but, you know, Petco kind of helps that. So I feel like Yates is sitting there having a really good season, begging to be put in this role. So uh, I wouldn't mind picking up him in a speculative ad basis right now. All right. Well, sounds good. Well, uh, Gary, we've got less than a minute left, so... I'm going to have to go uh, lightning round with you on yeah. this. So, uh, Jaime Garcia, helped or hurt by target field? Uh, I think it's neutral, but I think he's interesting with the swinging strike rates he's put up since July. So, uh, I like Jaime. All right. Uh, Rafael Devers, yay or nay in 12-team mixed league? Uh, yay. I think the only thing that was holding him back was the uh, position stuff, and we don't care about that in fantasy. So, I think uh, he is someone who's definitely got to get a look at this point. All right, and Lance McCullers, buy low or pass? Oh, buy low, 100%. 60% ground ball rate and the highest ERA FIP differential in the month of July. He is getting super unlucky. Cluster luck 
is the cause for this right now for Lance McCullers. Buy low. Cluster luck. Love it, Gary. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for uh, spitting out some great stuff very, very efficiently there. Uh, an efficient start there by Gary and Thorne. So uh, thanks for joining us. All right, have a good one. Appreciate it. All right, well, uh, we will be right back, so stick around. Many fantasy football players are focusing on their upcoming drafts later this summer. But the smart fantasy owner knows there's another big draft before the one where you pick the players. The first step in building a winner for the 2017 season is to draft the best team of experts for your preseason prep. So make the right selection and pick the squad at rotoexperts.com by purchasing the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. The Roto Experts roster features FSWA inaugural Hall of Famer and former Fantasy Football Writer of the Year Scott Engel, nationally acclaimed top ranker Jake Seeley, 2015 and 16 FSWA award winners Bobby McMahon and Brandon Murchison, and many more analysis with impressive stats. They bring you a draft package bursting with all pro analysis and in-season coverage that will guide you to title glory. So pick the team to help you build the right team. Make your first important selection of the 2017 season now and get the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package from RotoExperts.com. Be sure to enter promo code FREERADIO at checkout for your discount. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and a little bit of a uh, rush departure there for the Gary Thorns. I felt like I did not give him the uh, adequate thanks that uh, he deserves. Great, great stuff from Gary in there on the uh, KL trade, breaking down the closer situations, both in Kansas City and San Diego. Uh, always great to talk pitching with Gary, and so hopefully we'll get to do that again uh, sometime. Uh, but uh, let me uh, get to a couple of uh, breaking pieces of news here. Um, the Cardinals are calling up Harrison Bader, outfield prospect. And I have to say, uh, for me, this is very much uh, a- an unexpected development because, uh, you know, they've been dealing with a, a log jam in the outfield pretty much all season long. And certainly ever since Tommy Pham uh, showed that he des- was deserving of uh, everyday play, but apparently Dexter Fowler has been dealing with a couple of injuries, so that would, if that's uh, the reasoning, that would make a whole lot of sense. So uh, this could be a, a short-term thing, uh, as could, uh, by the way, the call-up of uh, Derek Fisher that I mentioned earlier in the show. So a couple of uh, very enticing outfield prospects, uh, Fisher and Bader, uh, coming up, uh, certainly worth picking up in deeper leagues and would be worth picking up in, in uh, you know maybe 12 or 14 team leagues if uh, you could be sure that they were going to get some regular playing time. And I think, uh, you know, given those crowded outfield situations, both in St. Louis and Houston, that's uh, that's going to be a tough one to feel secure about. Uh, also, no Chris Davis in the Orioles lineup tonight. Uh, that's back-to-back games that he uh, will miss. He has been dealing with an illness. So um, we've got Trey Mancini at first base Tonight, uh, last night was Mark Trumbo getting the start there. Trumbo uh, back at DH for the Orioles. Uh, and they're facing, as I think I mentioned earlier, the Rays and Jacob Faria. So a uh, little bit of an, a lineup update there. No Chris Davis. So um, anyhow, 
I'm going to get back to this Justin Verlander discussion uh, that I brought up a couple segments ago and brought it back up with uh, Gary and was really excited uh, to see what he would have to say about it. Pretty interesting. He, he seemed to be all the way in support of Justin Verlander buying into these last couple of starts. And just to uh, kind of uh, flesh out exactly what it is that, that Verlander has accomplished over his last four, four starts in total, he has a 277 ERA, 27 strikeouts, but 10 walks in 26 innings. So the walks have been continued to be a bit of an issue. But he has been throwing strikes. He's been doing that at a uh, 64% rate, which is uh, probably you know slightly above average. But that's kind of been the deal with Verlander all season long, throwing strikes and yet still uh, issuing a lot of walks. Over the last two starts, and it's relevant to break this down because each of the last two starts that Verlander's had have been against the Royals. He's gotten 17 strikeouts in those two starts with 33 swings and misses. So that is certainly pumping up those numbers from the last four starts. Um, Two very, very good starts for Justin Verlander in a row against against the Royals. As I mentioned, uh, last segment, 64% of people who answered the Twitter poll agreed with Gary and Thorne that uh, Justin Verlander should get the bulk of the credit for that those good performances the Royals have been hitting much better of late but they are uh, the team in the major leagues that has the highest swing rate on pitches that are outside of the strike zone they're uh, not at the top but they're near the top in terms of whiff percentage so uh, as I had mentioned last segment uh, if I would voted my own poll I would have voted for the Royals because the really the constant for Verlander and I should say constants have been a fairly modest swinging strike rate and um, a higher walk rate than what you'd like to see. So count me among the minority that is not yet sold on Justin Verlander rounding back into form. But also recall the other point that Gary made, which I think, you know, if you're going to incline to be cautious or looking for a reason maybe to be cautious on, on Verlander, is that it hasn't been a good year for extreme fly ball pitchers and, and Verlander is and has been for years, one of the most extreme in the major leagues. So that kicks off our review of favorable matchup Monday. I guess actually Kyle Hendricks did, but uh, that continues it on, but there's plenty more Blake Snell. I talked about this one, I think over the weekend uh, that it, this looked like a, a, probably the best possible matchup for him facing the Orioles who are not too far behind the Royals in terms of that swing rate on pitches outside of the zone. So not a very selective team. Snell typically doesn't work in the zone much. He needs an aggressive lineup to, uh, to do well against. Uh, he went seven innings, so that in and of itself is kind of a signal that something was a little different with Blake Snell against the Orioles. Went seven deep, only gave up three runs on six hits, and here's the, the key, one walk for Blake Snell. One single walk for Blake Snell, but only four strikeouts. So that's the one thing I would have predicted probably about eight strikeouts for Snell. So that was, uh, you know, the the lesser part of that stat line. But I think you still have, you know, if you started him, you you, you know, even though he, he lost, uh, unless you're penalized for losses in your league, if it's a, like a points league that penalizes losses, that's not so good. Otherwise, I think you count that as a, as a pretty good start from Snell. It's not one where you would have regretted putting him in your rotation. Uh, but here's an, just another set of stats to break down how favorable of a matchup this was for, for uh, Blake Snell. He threw only 33% of his pitches in the zone. That's exceedingly low. Exceedingly low. 
Um, the O's swung at pitches that were outside of the zone, and two thirds of Snell's pitches were outside of the so uh, excuse me outside of the strike zone. Got ahead of myself here. Uh, the Orioles swung at those pitches out of the zone at a thirty six percent rate. That's the highest rate for any opponent that has faced Blake Snell this year. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. So those were a couple of pitchers, or actually I should say a, a pitcher and an opponent, so a couple of actors who were uh, performing very much uh, according to the script that uh, Snell was not throwing in the zone very much, and the Orioles were chasing at a very high rate. It worked to Snell's advantage. So that's something to keep in mind for the future, You know, if he, when and if he uh, faces the Orioles again, if he faces you know some other teams. Uh, you know, like them, like the Royals, like the Rangers that tend to be pretty aggressive. Um, On the other side of that, Kevin Gosman uh, wouldn't say that facing the Rays is an especially uh, favorable matchup, but it is good for strikeouts. And Kevin Gosman got his strikeouts and he had a good start overall, got the win, went six uh, scoreless innings, uh, got his eight strikeouts, only five hits, did walk three batters. Uh, but uh, nice start for Gosman, who's just been all over the map this year. But it's also worth pointing out that the Rays, uh, just like Gary and I talked about how the Royals have really risen up uh, lately and been a much better hitting team, the Rays go in the opposite direction. Since the All-Star break, they ranked 27th in the major leagues in WOBA. So uh, lately the Rays have been a pretty nice matchup. You might factor that in as well for Gosman uh, as part of favorable matchup Monday. Um, of course, over the season as a whole, as I indicated, Rays have not been that easy of a matchup for righties. They, there is a lot of power potential there. So I, I, I don't uh, take it lightly uh, when I see a pitcher going up against the Rays, even though it's not been going well lately. Adam Conley had a good matchup. He got the Rangers, who have struggled all season long against left-handed starters. He had a great start, went seven scoreless. No walks for Conley, and again, that's kind of Snell-like in that Conley has struggled with the walk rate, facing a team that's not very selective, didn't walk a single batter, got five strikeouts. Um, nice, nice start for Adam Conley. So with both Snell and Conley, this uh, shows us that while I expect both to be pretty inconsistent going forward, maybe struggle more often than they succeed, there are some matchups that they can definitely take advantage of. Mike Leake against the Rockies. That might not immediately strike you as a favorable matchup, but the Rockies have been one of the worst teams on the road this season. In fact, the last time I looked at that leaderboard, so sometime within the last few days, they were dead last in Woba on the road. So at uh, Bush Stadium, Mike Leake looking good, also going seven scoreless uh, with no walks. (laughs) Seems to be a trend here. And six strikeouts and four hits for Mike Leake. So I don't think he's necessarily out of the woods yet in terms of struggling uh, lately. But, um, you know, again, a favorable matchup that uh, Leake was able to handle. Uh, James Paxton, he's just good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm putting an end to favorable matchup Monday right now because I don't think that the Red, the Red Sox are a favorable matchup for pretty much anybody. But uh, Paxton also went seven scoreless. Guess how many walks? That's right, zero <laughs> and four hits and 10 big strikeouts against a Red Sox team that doesn't strike out a whole lot. So it doesn't get too much more impressive than that. And R.A. Dickey, he's been on a really nice run. Is this the beginning of the end for R.A. Dickey? Might be. 
at the Diamondbacks yesterday. Dickey only lasted three and two-thirds innings. He walked five batters in three and two-thirds. Did get four strikeouts, uh, but gave up five hits and four runs. So overall, pretty ugly outing for R.A. Dickey. Threw only 49 of 90 pitches for strikes. So that big walk total, that was no fluke or no head scratcher. But in his previous eight starts, Dickey threw 69% of his pitches for strikes, which is exceptionally good. Exceptionally good control for Dickey prior to the start. So I don't know if this is the unraveling, uh, but uh, certainly an interruption of a very good uh, string of starts for R.A. Dickey. So uh, there you go. Those are the uh, standout pitcher performances from Monday, mostly with favorable matchups. So we're going to head to break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the hitters that made some noise. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Want the most accurate predictions for the upcoming college football season? Then you need to get the GoForTheChew.com Power 5 Preview. Available now at RotoExperts.com. I'm college football analyst Joe Lisi, and my predictions and insights have been featured nationwide parlaying my successful predictions in Las Vegas. I get you ready for the upcoming year with in-depth breakdowns of every Power 5 team, schedule analysis, Heisman favorites, and much more. The GoForTheChew.com Power 5 Preview at RotoExperts.com. Get it now and cash in later. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And let me tell you, you can now take the world's premier 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you wherever you go. Just download the Fantasy Sports Radio app on iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime or anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill, Benny Riccardi in your car, or Greg Sussman on the subway. Or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play. And take the experts with you. Uh, Mystery solved as to why the Cardinals called up Harrison Bader. They have just put Dexter Fowler on the DL with a forearm strain. So... Uh, at least not uh, further clogging up an already crowded outfield situation. Uh, bad news for Dexter Fowler, of course. Bad news for his fantasy owners, but you now have a pretty nice waiver wire option in uh, Harrison Bader, who uh, could give you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Uh, question is how long he's going to be up and how much he's actually going to play. Uh, all right, well, let's get to some other hitters uh, for this final segment. Uh, we have three members from yesterday's two home run club, John Carlos Stanton, who's pretty much just a permanent member, uh, with his 31st and 32nd home runs against the Rangers in that uh, game where Adam Conley uh, spun, spun a gem against the Rangers. Hunter Renfro with a two homer game against the Mets, numbers 18 to 19. And Carlos Santana, he's been red hot. And I talked, uh, I want to say probably about a week ago, about how he'd been hitting a lot of doubles. And eventually those doubles would translate into homers. Uh, well, at least on Monday they did hit home runs number 11 and 12. He went two for three with a walk in that contest. And over his last 28 games, so over a little bit more than a month, Santana's been batting 316 with four homers. So 
that was doubled up uh, yesterday uh, with four homers, uh, including that two-homer game. But again, 10 doubles over the last 28 games. And a 360 BABIP, which you should rightfully be skeptical of because Santana's always been a low BABIP guy who hits his fair share of fly, fair share of fly balls, but really pulls the ball a lot, extreme pull hitter. But uh, I think part of the reason is that he's just mashing right now. Uh, sometimes when he hit the ball hard enough, overrides all those other trends. He's got a 41% hard contact rate over those last 28 games. So I don't know how long that's going to last, but uh, got to start him now while the going's good. And another hitter that, uh, if you like to play the hot hand, is red hot right now is Adam Jones, who went 3-for-5 with his 19th home run and his 13th double at the Rays on Monday. He's got a seven-game hit streak, which is not, you know, Super long or impressive as far as hit streaks go, but he's been just tearing it up over those seven games. This hasn't been like one hit a game. He's batting 485 over those seven games with four homers and three doubles. Uh, that is just scalding hot for Adam Jones. A.J. Pollock, too, uh, really getting hot. Three for five with his fifth home run and his uh, 17th and 18th doubles against the Braves on Monday. And over his last nine games, he's batting 412 with a pair of homers, a pair of triples, and five doubles. So Pollock is pretty much must-start anyway, but if you had any question about it, uh, he is in, in top form right now. Uh, hadn't been hitting for that much power prior to this uh, hot streak, but he's... He's back in, in, in prime form. And J.D. Martinez hit his first home run as a Diamondback at the Braves, uh, back in the starting lineup for Arizona yesterday after uh, uh, missing a little bit of time. Uh, so uh, good news for J.D. Martinez. So that's a wrap for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, stay tuned for On Target. And uh, I'll be back on Thursday. Please come back with me because it's going to be Nando Thursday. Love Nando Thursday. Looking forward to that. Hope to see you then.